We'll turn to Matthew 26. We're continuing our study of sayings of Peter. We're looking at selected events from his life. Not about everything he ever did or said, but selected things. And then we're going to try to look at them in the context and then try to make some applications. Uh, we said earlier that Peter is the person we can identify with because sometimes he says the right things and sometimes he says the wrong things. And then we could say the same thing. Sometimes we do right and sometimes we do wrong. Sometimes we say things wrong. Sometimes we say things right. The goal for our study is to understand the context and figure out what What's going on? When we look at the passage today, uh, it's a sad time. It's what I call the failure section. <laughs> it's where, uh, and we're looking really at Peter, and Peter has already said, I will not run away, and I will not deny you. And of course, he does both. He, he fails just uh, in every area. So as we look at this section, that's one of the most famous events in the Bible. And so this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to focus, we're just going to look at the arrest the failure, the flee, and Jesus is on his way to the cross. And so we're going to just see, we won't see everything, uh, uh, especially the denials and all that, but we'll see it. I think one of the great truths concerning salvation is that it's simply by faith. Uh, we, uh, I've got a Thursday morning guys that meet together. We've got some Friday morning guys that meet together. And we talk about this. And one of the things that we get down to is saying, listen, it is so important for people to understand that when you believe in Jesus Christ, you're saved and you're saved forever, and that we're a new creation in Christ. And here's the thing to think about. Second Corinthians 5, 17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. And so one of the things I think that uh, we have to understand is that we go from being dead to being alive, from being lost to being saved, and yet at the same time, uh, we, we have a natural bent to sin. We still have the flesh in us. We still have the natural bent to sin, and it's within every person. Here's the little chart that we see a lot of different times. We have This is a believer. This is the body. This is the conscious soul, flesh. Flesh is a natural bent to sin. The soul relates to the world around us. The mind, emotion, and will is in our soul. The Greek word for soul is suke. We get psyche from it. Uh, the word, there's conscience. That's t- telling us right from wrong. The law is written on people's hearts. That's their minds. And then the moment we believe in Jesus Christ as a believer, the, we're born again. We're made alive. The human spirit is made alive, and the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. One of the problems we see is that as a new creation in Christ, we say, wow, I'm a new creation in Christ. I was dead, but now I'm alive. I can understand God's Word. I can live for God. I have this desire to live for God. And at the same time, we still have that right there. We still have the pull to sin, to go wrong. And, and when, sometimes we think about it, and, we, and I've had people say things like, if, if I'm really saved, why do I still want to do bad things? Why do I still want to have bad thoughts? Why, why do I still want to sin? Why do I still sin? Why do I do this? Well, we know this at Romans 7. Paul writes and says, the things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, I do. Do you ever feel that way? Yeah, I mean, there are things that I say to myself, I don't want to do that, but I end up doing it on purpose. And, and the things I want to do, I say, I want to do this, and I don't do it. Paul says, in my flesh, that natural bent to sin dwells no good thing. No good thing. Paul actually says that inside of us, a person who wants to do good, there is evil. And so the, the negative is that... We're evil and, and want to do bad. At the same time, we're a new creation in Christ and want to do good and live good. And so there's this battle. 
And so we realize that even as a believer, we're capable of any sin, we're capable of falling. And so we're looking at Matthew 26, 31. And last time Jesus said this, he said, strike the shepherd, that's Jesus Christ. He was arrested and killed and the sheep will scatter. The men will run off. They deserted Jesus. He told them last time, he said, uh, in verse 31, Jesus said to them, you will fall away because of this night for it is written, I will strike down the shepherd and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered. He's quoting from Zechariah. I mean, so uh, he said, uh, let me go back there. He's, Zechariah, he's quoting there that, that that's exactly what is going to happen. And I, I think that we don't always think about it that way. Uh, v- verse 32, and then he says the thing that I think every one of them missed. We talked about it last week. He says, strike the shepherd, the sheep will all run off. But after I've been raised, because he talked about he's going to die, uh, they'll strike down the shepherd. After I've been raised, I'll go ahead of you to Galilee. He tells them, basically, I'm going to rise from the dead and meet you in Galilee. They didn't, none of them, I don't think any of them heard that. I don't think any of them thought about that. I think when he said, you'll strike the shepherd and we'll all run, y'all will all run off, I think uh, they all thought, uh, wait a minute, we're not going to run off. I'm not going to run off. And, th- and they missed the whole thing. So in verse 33, Peter said, well, even though all may fall away because, because of you, I'll never fall away. Peter says, everybody else may fall away, but I'm not going to fall away. We stopped last week, and we talked about that Peter is putting confidence in himself. And he's basically saying, I'm not going to fall away. I'm not going to run away. When all this happens and they come to get you, I'm not running away. Now, did Peter think that he was going to run away? No. Listen, Peter is saying, listen, I'm not going to do this. And sometimes we say, and we talked about this last week, I would never do that. You would never do that. You don't know. Put yourself in the wrong place at the wrong time. There's no telling what you'd do. There's things that we'd say something like, well, I'd never murder anybody. You don't know. Put yourself in the wrong place at the wrong time. There's no telling what you'd do. Well, I would never do that. You just don't know. And you can't say, I will never do that. And so Peter is saying, I will never fall away. Even if everybody else falls away, I will never fall away. I'm not going to do that. And so Peter has confidence in himself. And that's why the Bible says, take heed lest you think you stand, you fall. Be careful. Be careful because Peter has confidence in himself. He'll never fall away. He's never going to deny. And, and one of the great truths is we're capable of any sin. First Corinthians 13, take heed lest you think you stand, you fall. I think the moment we think we're going to stand in is when we're opening ourselves up to fall. When we say, I can't go through life unless it's God's power through me. I want to live for him. I want to know the Bible. I want to make a difference for Christ. I'm going to trust in him and live for him. I think you're in good shape. If you were to say, I, I'm fine. I can do whatever I want to do. And, you know, whatever temptations come my way, I should be okay. No. That's when you open yourself up. We're capable of any sin. So Peter says, even if everybody else falls away, and when he, they mean fall away, he, he's talking about instead of sticking by you, when they come to arrest you, what you're telling us, Jesus, they're going to come get you. We're all going to run off. They're going to kill you. Well, I'm not going to run off. Everybody else may fall away, but I'm not going to fall away. And then Jesus gets more specific. And Jesus said to him, verse 34, truly I say to you this very night, not in the future, not somewhere down the line, this very night before a rooster crows for its morning, for its morning, you will deny me three times. Wow. Jesus tells Peter, before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. Denying him says, I don't know who he is. 
He just spent, what, three and, three and a half years with him? He's seen everything. He watched him turn the water to wine. He watched him heal the nobles of He watched him walk on the water. He's, he's watched him do all kinds of things. Heal blind men. He's raised Lazarus from the dead. He's watched all this. He's seen how the Pharisees come up, and he, they'll ask him a question, and he'll make them look like idiots because he just answers it, and they go, they look around like, whose idea was this? I mean, the, I, you know, it goes on and on and on. They've seen him. They know him. They've spent time with him. It wasn't like they took a couple of classes under him. They lived with him. And he says, you're going to deny me, meaning you're going to say, you don't even know who I am. Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Sometimes, maybe we should say something sometime about Christianity or about something or something comes up, and we don't ever say it. We're like afraid to say it. I don't want to get in an argument with somebody. Would they tell him what they believe? Can you not tell what? you believe? So sometimes we deny what we really know because we don't stand for it. And it's going to get harder and harder in our culture. We know that. Jesus says before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. Do you think Peter wants to deny Jesus Christ? No. Does he want to say, I don't know him? Of course not. Let me ask you a question. Do you want to sin? What's the answer? Really, no. I mean, you may be tempted and your flesh may say this is going to be good and you'll like it. And from that, But ultimately, as a believer, do you want to sin? The answer is no. We don't want to sin. And Peter doesn't want to deny Christ. But Peter's trusting in himself. And let me tell you, anytime we trust in ourselves, anytime we think we got it made, anytime we think we can go through life without... Trusting God, living in His power, living by the Word. Anytime we think we can just make it, uh, we, we're going we're gonna to be in real trouble. So we must never underestimate the power of the flesh. Flesh is powerful. It's horrible. Um, Jesus said, not only will you desert me, but you will deny me three times. Now that wasn't just, you're going to run off when they get me. Not only that, but... Before the night is over, you're going to tell people you don't even know who I am. Peter said to him in verse 35, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same thing. You know, I always say, when Peter, Peter's one that put himself in a situation where he had the opportunity to deny Jesus, you could say, where are the rest of the guys? Well, we all say that old saying is Peter was following Jesus, but he was following too far back. You know, <laughs> if you're going to follow Jesus, follow as close as possible, and he's following too far back. And so he says, L- listen, uh, I will not deny you. I will not deny you. And all the rest of them say the same thing. Let me see if I have that. Yeah, the rest of the disciples, they say exactly the same thing. So we stop there. Even I have to die with you. Was Peter planning if necessary, to die for Jesus. That's exactly what he said. Exactly what he said. Would, would you, I didn't even ask this question, would you die for Christ? We'd say, well, if, if it came down to it, I hope I would, but we don't know. We don't know. You won't know till the time comes. Now, the plan is to say, Lord, I'm going to live for you no matter what they say, no matter what they do to me. 
I want to live for you. That's what we want. Peter said, let me tell you what, if everybody else ran off, I'm not. And even if I have to die, I will not deny you. I'm, I'm telling you, I'm standing strong. I'm standing strong. When every time we say, I'm standing strong, we should say, he's strong through me, not I'm standing strong. So what we're going to see is two events, the arrest and then Peter's denial. And the truth is the re- we'll see the rest the rest of the, this morning, and then we'll start seeing the denial next time and, and see what happened there. So let's think about the arrest. What they did, if you, if you uh, look at this, and you, it's not in this, but it's in the Gospel of John or something, they sang, they sang some songs. They most likely sang, uh, sang Psalm 115, 116, 117, 118. Some say they just sang 118. Some traditions say that they sang three or four of those. We, we know they've already, uh, verse 30 says they've already sang a hymn. And, and so at least one of the Psalms, and there were Psalms that they were supposed to sing that night. That's what people say. I, I pulled out, I've got a little book, uh, which has a, a flow of a Christian Passover meal. It's exactly like the Jewish one, but it has all the, the Christian emphasis, like what this means, how it ties in with Christ, and it's really a good thing. And there are all kinds of songs they sing in there, and there's, there's all of that in there. And so they arrest Jesus. This is what we're going to see. They're on the way. Jesus taught them all the way. He taught them on the way. And by the way, if you, if you read Matthew, what you get is they get to, at the end of verse 35 and verse 36, where are they? They came to Gethsemane. But if you read the Gospel of John, they're walking and they stop by a place that is a vineyard. And that's where he says, I'm the vine, you're the branches, he who abides in me. And this is where he says, in my father's house there are many rooms. If it wasn't that way, I'd have told you. So he's walking there, ta- teaching them as he goes. And then they get to Gethsemane. Then Jesus, verse 36, Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he says to the disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. Now, Gethsemane means the place of the olive press. That's what it means. That Gethsemane, it's on the side of the Mount of Olives. If you if you look at Jerusalem, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go, this is this is where I'm gonna make it this is west and this is east. If you came out of Jerusalem and you came down the Mount of down out of Jerusalem, out of the eastern gate, you'd come to the Kidron Valley and you'd go up, and as you go up, you're going the Mount of Olives. And at the top of Mount of Olives is three little cities. One is called Bethany, and one is where uh, uh, Mary and uh, Zach, uh, Lazarus and Martha lived right on top of that hill. So Jesus would go to Jerusalem. He'd spend the night up there. They were his friends. They were really close family friends. That's why when Lazarus got sick and died, they all said, both women said to Jesus, first thing they say when they see him is, if you'd have been here, he wouldn't have died. Like, why didn't you come? Because they were real close. They've come to the Mount of Olives, to the Garden of Gethsemane, and Jesus is going to pray. And he's already told them that one is going to betray him. They already t- he's already told them Judas is going to come with a crowd. Look at verse 47 of Matthew 26. While Jesus was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, came up accompanied by a large crowd with swords and clubs who came from the chief priest and the elders of the people. Now, one of the other gospels says they had some Roman soldiers with them. They're coming with swords and soldiers and lights and clubs and, and uh, they're coming, and they see them coming, and Judas is leading the way. Now, Judas has already told them because it's dark. I mean, it's not like everything's lit up. Judas already said to him, when I get there, I'm going to go up to the right guy because you don't want to arrest the wrong guy. You don't want to beat up the wrong guy. I'm going to go right to Jesus, and I'll give him a kiss, and that way you'll know which one to arrest because it's dark. It's not, it's not light. I mean, you got torches and stuff, 
but they can't really see. So while he was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, came up accompanied by a large crowd with swords and clubs who came and... It says, now he who was betraying him gave them a sign, verse 48, saying, whomever I kiss, he's the one, sees him. Immediately, Judas went to Jesus and said, hell, Rabbi, and kissed him. So there's two things here. They've come to the Mount of Olives, the Garden of Gethsemane. There's two things. Judas kisses Jesus, and Jesus says, I am. Now, it's not in here. It's in the Gospel of John. But when they came up, and we we can't tell whether this was before Judas kissed him or after Judas kissed him, Jesus stepped out from the group and said, who are you looking for? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And he said what? I am. We got the song this morning that, our, that some, some of our people wrote. Uh, the great, I am. I am the, I don't know, the name of the song all the way through. But it's got I am and it's all I know. Anyway. And, and he says, I am, which is the name of God. It's Y-H-W-H. Well, actually, it, it, it's the personal name of God. It comes from, it's Hayah, which is the Hebrew word for I am. But Yahweh comes from Hayah, which ties it in that when Jesus, when, that's when God told Moses, just tell him I am sent you. I am who I am. And Jesus steps out and says, I am. What happened when he says that? They all took steps backwards and put their faces on the ground. Now, if you'd have been there, what would you have done? I think if I was one of those guys, I think, I think I'm going home, right? I'm not arresting this guy. He just said a word, and all of us went down because he's powerful. So Judas kisses Jesus, and Jesus says, I am. And uh, they all fall backwards. And so you can see that Peter remembers He's seen the power of Jesus. He's seen this crowd. And, and they've got, how many swords they got? Do you remember? He's got, they got two swords. That's all they got. They got two swords. Peter obviously has one of them. And it says this, verse 51. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus reached and drew out his sword and struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his ear. Now, John 10, 18, 10 says it was Peter who did it. Peter took the sword, cut off the ear of the servant. One of the other gospels tells us that Jesus put the ear back on. If you're the slave of the high priest and you dodge like this and Peter cuts off your ear and you're standing there bleeding and you're trying to find your ear and Jesus puts it back on and you're completely healed, I might go, I don't think I'm going to arrest him either. I don't, I don't even need to be here. I wouldn't be here. What, what would you do? Uh, yeah. What amazes me is think about, and let me just throw this story out real quick. You remember the guy that was by the pool of, uh, of uh, Bethesda and, and, and the water was supposed to move and somebody would climb in and they were supposed to be well and this guy had been there for years and years and years and years. Jesus comes by and said, do you want to get well? And the guy said, yeah, I don't have anybody to put me in there. And Jesus said, just here, pick up your thing and walk. And he picked up his thing and walked and Jesus disappeared. He didn't know who it was. And he walks and the religious leaders come to him and say, hey, hey, you can't carry that thing around. It's the Sabbath day. You can't carry anything around. He said, well, the guy who healed me told me to carry it. And they said, well, who was it? He said, I don't know. And so Jesus finds him and says later, okay, you're well, but don't do sin because you might get back down in the same situation. So what does this guy do? Instead of saying, thank you, thank you, thank you, he goes to the religious leaders and says, it's Jesus. Y'all can go arrest him. He's a real friend, isn't he? So, just because 
They saw a miracle. Doesn't mean they believe. You remember when Jesus was in the synagogue? And it was a Sabbath day. And Jesus stands up and says, is it okay to do a good on the Sabbath or a bad? And they wouldn't say anything. And so he, got, he said, come here. And the guy had an arm that was messed up. And he said, hold out your arm. And he held it out. And it was completely well. And he said, and the religious leader says, we're going to kill him. So seeing a miracle, that didn't help them. That didn't make them believe anything. Wow. So anyway, where are we? Okay, so he took out the sword and cut off the ear of the servant. John 18, 10 tells us Peter, other gospel says he fixed it. And, and so what's going to happen? So look at verse 52. This is what Jesus says. Jesus said to him, put your sword back in its place for all who take up the sword shall perish by the sword. Listen, if you pull out a sword and try to fight, you know what's going to happen to you? You're going to die. You're going to die. Now let me ask you a question. Who's supposed to die? Jesus. What about the disciples? Does he want them to die? No. Now, why? Why? They've got to carry on the message. Have you ever wondered why striking the sheep, the shepherd, all the sheep run off? So they can be saved. Exactly. They want, he wants them to run off. If they stay there, they'll most likely what? They'll get killed. And who? He's trained them for how long? Three and a half years. If they stay there and try to fight, they all get killed and then who's going to carry on the ministry? So in reality, striking the shepherd and the sheep flee is really good. The plan was not for the disciples to die. When Jesus was arrested, the plan was for Jesus to die. Peter's still wanting man's plan. Remember back earlier, he said, we won't let you die. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. You're thinking like man rather than God. The plan is I have to die to pay for the sins of the world and to be the savior of the world. And Peter's trying to stop it, even here. Peter is still wanting the plan, and he's just missed it. And God, God, Jesus already said, listen, you're going to run off, which is really the best thing for you. Now, you're going to deny me, which is not the best thing for you. But I'm praying for you so that when it's over, you'll come back, and you'll be strong, and you'll lead everybody else. That's the plan. That's what he told him. Jesus told him the sheep would scatter. Why is this best? They would allow the men to live. They'd be able, after the resurrection, to serve him and take the message to the world. You know, we all say, like, oh, yeah, when it really came down to it, they all ran off. That's Jesus' plan for them to run off. That's Zechariah's plan. Strike the shepherd, sheep run off. That's the plan. We don't always think about it that way, but that's the best thing. If they'd stayed, they'd all died. Most likely they would have died. Peter pulled out a sword, started to fight. Somebody else pulled out the other sword. The only two swords, there was enough soldiers there. There was enough religious leaders. They came with swords and clubs. It had been over before you know it. That's why Jesus says, don't you think that I could appeal to my father in verse 53 and he'll put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? Did he need a legion of angels? You could do with one angel, right? Because one angel killed 185,000 Assyrians, and they were soldiers. So one angel could handle just about anything, right? I mean, if you think that an angel came in here and we said, well, let's all fight this angel, what we ought to be doing is go get in the cars and get out of here as quickly as possible, right? These angels are powerful beings. And Jesus said, Peter, Peter, you got to go. 
Because I could call angels if I wanted to. It's not, that's, the issue isn't this. I'm laying down my life. This is the thing they didn't always grasp. I'm laying down my life. Nobody takes it from me. I'm laying it down. And what else am I going to do? I'm going to take it back up again. And so what, verse 54, he says, How will the scriptures be fulfilled which say it must happen this way? He says, Scripture has to be fulfilled. All this has to happen so the Scripture can be fulfilled. But what, what, is, what has to be fulfilled? Well, they're going to strike the shepherd. He's going to be arrested, tried, judged, killed, rise again. That's what's going to happen. They're going to strike the shepherd, and they're all going to run away. Verse 56, he says, uh, uh, all this had to take place to fulfill the Scriptures of the prophecy. So then what happened? What happened? What does the verse say? Then all the disciples, what? Left him and fled. They ran off. They ran off. This fulfills the scripture. All the disciples left him. That's exactly what the scripture said what happened. By the way, does the scripture always come true? Does anything scripture say always right? It's always right. I give you what? Eternal life and you'll never perish. Should you ever worry about whether you're going to get to make it? Who gave you life? Who holds you? Jesus. He promised you what? Eternal life. Is, is it always true? Every promise? Every, every promise. Well, the men scattered. They're running. Uh, and I, I'm going to tell you this. Peter's running. I wonder if Peter, when he's running, is thinking, I'm running. Why am, I'm running. He said I would run. And I'm running. And I'm going to tell you what. When he denies Christ, he doesn't even think about what he's doing. He doesn't even think about it. He's there. He does it three times. Gospel of Luke says that Jesus looked over at him and he remembered what Jesus told him he would do. Wow. Well, next time, the denials. Let me give you the applications before we go to group to our groups. Let's trust the Word of God. I mean, let's do it. It's truth. Whatever it says comes to pass. Jesus said it will be. Whatever he says is going to happen, it happens. The Scripture is always fulfilled. Second half is don't, let's, don't, let's don't trust ourselves. Uh, take heed lest we think we what? Stand we might fall because it's very easy to fall it's very easy to think i won't do that but we are capable of any sin because we still have the flesh the natural bent to pull us it's just there and then the third thing is let's trust jesus who's in control in the midst of all of this resting jesus pulling him off taking him running back it looks like it's out of control it's exactly what jesus planned this is exactly the plan jesus is in control he is laying down his life they're not taking it from him if he didn't want to be arrested, guess what? No power in the world could arrest him. He on purposely got arrested. He on purposely went to the cross. He on purposely did it. He on purpose died, and he on purpose rose from the grave. That's who he is.